Ashley Brock reading Diane Palmer's book, Callaghan's Bride. It's book 17 in her Long Tall Texan series. I know, from book 9 to 17, but I don't have all the books in between. I wish I did, but I don't. So, here it is. Diane Palmer's book, Callaghan's Bride. And it's another one of my favorites. Chapter 1. The kitchen cat twirled around Tessa's legs and almost tripped her on her way to the oven. She smiled at it ruefully and made Tom to pour a bowl of cat food. The cat was always hungry, it seemed. Probably it was still afraid of starving because it had been astray when Tess took it in. It was the bane of Tess Brady's existence that she couldn't resist stray or her animals. Most of her young life had been spent around radios with her father, twice the world champion calf rover, Roper. She hadn't had a lot to do with animals. Which, meant had, which might have explained why she loved him. Now that her father was gone and she was truly on her own, she enjoyed having little things to take care of. Her chargers ranged from birds with broken wings to sick calves. There was an unbroken procession. This cat was her latest acquisition. It had come to the back door as a kitten just after Thanksgiving, squalling in the dark rainy night. Tess had taken it in despite the grumbling from two of her three bosses. The big boss, the one who didn't like her, had been her only ally in letting the cat stay. That surprised her. Callaghan Hart was one tough hombre. He'd been a captain in the Green Berets and had seen and seen action in Operation Desert Storm. He was next to the eldest of the five Hart brothers who owned the sweeping Hart Ranch properties, a conglomerate of ranches and feedlots located in several western states. The headquartered ranch was in Jacobsville, Texas. Simon, the eldest brother, was an attorney in San Antonio. Corrigan, who was four years younger than Simon, had married over a year and a half ago. He and his wife, Dory, had a new baby son. There were three other Hart bachelors left in Jacobsville. Renard, the youngest, Leopold, the second youngest, and Callaghan, who was just two years younger than Simon. They all lived on the Jacobsville property. Tess's father had worked for the Hart brothers for a little over six months when he dropped dead in the curl of a heart attack. It had been devastating for Tess, whose mother had run out when, on them when she was little. Cray Brady, her father, was an only child. There wasn't any other family that she knew of. The Hearts had also known that. When their housekeeper had expressed a desire to retire, Tess had seemed the perfect replacement because she could cook and keep house. She could also ride like a cowboy and shoot like an expert and curse in fluent Spanish, but the Hart boys didn't know about those skills because she never had an occasion to display them. Her talents these days were confined to making the fluffy biscuits the brothers couldn't live without and producing basic but hearty meals. Everything except sweets because none of the brothers seemed to like them. It would have been the perfect job, even with Leopold's endless pranks, except that she was afraid of Callaghan. It showed, which made things even worse. <laughs> he watched her all the time, from her curly red-gold hair and pale blue eyes to her small feet, as if he was just waiting for her to make a mistake so that he could fire her. Over breakfast, those black Spanish eyes would cut into her overt face like a diamond. They were set in a lean, dark face with a broad forehead and a heavy, jaunting brow. He had a big nose and big ears and big feet, but his long, chiseled mouth was perfect, and he had thick, straight hair as black as a raven. He wasn't handsome, but he was commanding and arrogant and frightening even to other men. Leopold had once told her that the brothers tried to step in if ever lost his temper enough to get physical. He had an extensive background in combat, but even his size alone made him dangerous. He was fortunate that he rarely left his temper get the best of him. 
Tess had never been able to understand why Cag disliked her so much. He hadn't said a word of protest when the others decided to offer her the job of housekeeper and cook after her father's sudden death, and he was the one who made Leopold apologize after a particularly unpleasant prank at a party, but he never stopped cutting at Tess or finding ways to get at her. Like this morning, she almost... She always put strawberry preservatives on the table for breakfast because the brothers preferred them, but this morning, Cag had wanted apple butter and she couldn't find any. He'd been scathing about her lack of organization and stomped out without a second biscuit or another cup of coffee. His birthday is a week from Saturday. Leopold had explained ruefully, he hates getting older. Last year, he went away for a week around this time of the year. Nobody knew where he was either. He shook his poor old cag. Why do you call him that? Tess asked curiously. I don't know, Ray said, smiling tall. I guess because out of all of us, he's the most alone. She hadn't thought of it that way, but Ray was right. Cag was alone. He didn't date, and he didn't go out with the boys, as many other men did. He kept to himself when he wasn't looking wasn't working, which was rarely he was reading history books. It had surprised us during her first weeks as housekeeper to find that he read Spanish colonial history in Spanish. She hadn't known that he was bilingual, although she found out later when two of the Hispanic cowboys got into a no-holds-barred fight with a Texas cowboy who'd been deliberately baiting them. The Texas cowboy had been fired, and the two Latinos had been quietly and efficiently cursed within an inch of their lives in the coldest, most bitingly perfect Spanish test had ever heard. She herself was bilingual, having spent most of her youth in the Southwest. Cag didn't know she spoke Spanish. It was one of the many accomplishments she was too shy to share with him. She kept to herself most of the time, except when Dory came with Corrigan to the ranch to visit. They lived in a house of their own several miles away, although it was still on the Hart Ranch. Dory was sweet and kind, and Tess adored her. Now that the baby was here, Tess looked forward to the visits even more. She adored children. What she didn't adore was Herman. Although she was surely an animal lover, her affection didn't extend to snakes. The great albino python with his yellow patterned white skin and red eyes terrified her. He lived in an enormous aquarium against one, of, against one wall of Cag's room, and he had a nasty habit of escaping. Tess had found him in a variety of unlikely spots, including the washing machine. He wasn't dangerous because Cag kept him well fed, and he was always closely watched for a day or so after he ate, which wasn't very often. Eventually, she learned not to scream like measles and colds. Herman was a force of nature that simply had to be accepted. Cag loved the vile reptile. It seemed to be the only thing that he really cared about. Well, maybe he liked the cat, too. She'd seen him playing with it once with a long piece of string. He didn't know that. When he wasn't aware anyone was watching, he seemed to be a different person. And nobody had forgotten about what happened after he saw what was subsequently referred to as the pig movie. Ray had sworn that his older brother was all but in tears during one of the scenes in the touching, funny motion picture. Cag saw it three times in the theater and later bought a copy of his own. Since the movie, Cag didn't eat pork anymore, not ham, nor sausage, nor bacon, and he made everyone who did feel uncomfortable. It was one of many paradoxes about this complicated man. He wasn't afraid of anything on this earth, but apparently had a short, soft heart deep hidden deep inside. Tess had never been privileged to see it because Cag didn't like her. She wished that she wasn't so uneasy around him, but then most people were. Christmas Eve came later in the week, and Tess served an evening meal fit for royalty, complete with all the trimmings. The married hearts were staying their own tradition up for Christmas Day, so the family celebration was on Christmas Eve. Tess ate with him because all four brothers... 
had looked outraged when she started to set a place for herself in the kitchen with widowed Mrs. Lewis, who came almost every day to do the mopping and waxing and general cleaning that Tess didn't have time for. It was very democratic of them, she supposed, and it did feel nice to at least appear to be part of a family, even if it wasn't her own. Mrs. Lewis went home to her visiting children anyway, so Tess would have been in the kitchen alone. She was wearing the best dress she had, a nice red plaid one, but it was cheap and it looked it when compared to the dress that Dory Hart was wearing they went out of their way to make her feel secure though and by the time they started on the pumpkin and pecan pies and the huge dark fruit cake she wasn't worried about her dress anymore everyone included her in the conversation except for cag silence it would have been perfect but he didn't even look at her she tried not to care she got presents another unexpected treat in return for her homemade gifts she crocheted elegant trim for two pillowcases that she'd embroidered for the hearts matching them to the color schemes in their individual bedrooms something she'd asked dory to conspire with her on she did elegant crochet work she was making things for dory's baby boy in her spare time a labor of love the gifts she received weren't handmade but she loved them just the same the brothers chipped in to buy her a winter coat it was black leather one with big cuffs and a sash she'd never seen anything so beautiful in all her life and she cried over it the woman gave her presents too she had a delicious floral perfume from dory and a designer scarf and just the right shades of blue from mrs lewis she felt on top of the world as she cleaned away the down dinner dishes and got to work in the kitchen leo paused by the counter and tugged at her apron strings with a mischievous grin don't you dare she warned him she smiled, though, before she turned her attention back to the dishes. <sighs> Cag didn't say a word, he remarked. He's gone off to ride the fence line near the river with Mac before it gets dark. Mac was the cattle foreman, a man even more silent than Cag. The ranch was so big that there were foremen over every aspect of it. The cattle, the horses, the mechanical crew, the office crew, the salesmen. There was even a veterinarian on retainer. Tessa's father had been a livestock foreman for the brief time he spent at the Hart Ranch before his untimely death. Tessa's mother had left him when Tess was still a little girl, sick of the nomadic life that her husband loved. In recent years, Tess hadn't heard a word from her. She was glad. She hoped she never had to see her mother again. Oh, she put a plate in the dishwasher. Because of me? She had it quietly. He has, I don't know. Toyed with a knife on the counter. He hasn't been himself lately. Well, he meant it with worse. Well, he has, but he's been worse than usual. I haven't done anything, have I? She asked and turned worried eyes up to his. She was so young, he mused, watching all the uncertainties rush across her smooth, lightly freckled face. She wasn't pretty, but she wasn't plain either. She had an inner light that seemed to radiate from her when she was happy. He liked hearing her sing when she mopped and swept, when she went out to feed the few chickens that kept they kept for egg production. Despite the fairly recent tragedy in her life, she was a happy person. No, he said blatantly. You haven't done a thing. You'll get used to Cag's mood. He doesn't have them too often, just at Christmas, his birthday, and sometimes in the summer. Why? She asked. He hesitated. Sure. We he went overseas in Operation Desert Storm. He said he never talks about it. Whatever he did was classified, but he was in some tight corners and he came home wounded. While he was recuperating in West Germany, his fiance married somebody else. Christmas in July remind him, and he gets broody. She grimaced. He doesn't seem the sort of man who would ask a woman to marry him unless he was serious. He isn't. It hurt him really bad. He hasn't had much time for women since. He smiled gently. It gets sort of funny. It gets sort of funny when you go to conventions. There's cag and black tie standing out like a beacon, and women just follow him around like pet calves. 
he never seems to notice. <laughs> I guess he's still healing. She said and relaxed a little. At least it wasn't just her that said him off. I don't know that he ever will. He replied, his purse lips watching her. You're very domestic, aren't you? She poured detergent into the dishwasher with a smile and turned it on. I always had to be. My mother left us when I was little. Although she came back to visit just once when I was 16, we never saw her again. She shivered no more left memory. Anyway, I learned her cooking clean for Daddy at an early age. No brothers or sisters? She regret. Just us. I wanted to get a job or go on to college after high school to help out. But he needed me, and I just kept putting it off. I'm glad I did now. Her eyes clouded a little. I loved him to death. I kept thinking, though, what if we'd known about his heart in time? Could anything have been done? You can't do that to yourself, he stated. Things happen, bad things sometimes. You have to realize that you can't control life. That's a hard lesson, you know. But it's one we all have to learn. He frowns. Just how old are you? Twenty or so. She looked back. She's taking... She looked taken back. I'm 21. I'll be 22 in March. And now he looked taken back. You don't seem that old. She chuckled. Is that a compliment or an insult? He cocked in his eyebrow. I suppose you'll see it as the latter. She wiped an imaginary spot on the counter with a cloth. Callie the oldest, isn't he? Simon. He corrected. Callie's going to be 38 on Saturday. She averted her eyes as if she didn't want him to see whatever was in him. He took a long time to get engaged. Herman doesn't exactly make for lasting relationships. He told her with a grin. She understood that. Tess always had Cag put a cover over the albino python's tank before she cleared, cleaned his room. That had been the first of many strikes against her. She had a moral terror of snakes from childhood, having been almost bitten by rattlesnakes several times before her father realized she couldn't see three feet in front of her face. Classes had followed by the... But the minute she was old enough to protest, she insisted on getting contact limits. Love me. Love my enormous, terrifying snake. Hmm? She coming. Well, at least he found someone who was willing to at first. She didn't like Herman either. He replied. She told Cag that she wasn't sharing him with a snake. When they got married, he was going to give him to a man who breeds albinos. I see. It was telling that Cag would give in to a woman. She'd never seen him give in to anyone in the months she and her father had been at the ranch. He gives with both hands, he said quietly. If he didn't come across as a holy terror, he wouldn't have a shirt left. Nobody sees him as a soft touch. He really is. He's the last man in the world I'd think of as a giver. You don't know him, Leo said. No, of course I don't, Sutton. He's another generation from you. He moves watching her call. Now, I'm young and handsome and rich, and I know how to show a girl a good time without making an issue of it. Her eyebrows You're modest, too. He grinned. You bet I am. It's my middle name. He leaned against the counter, looking rakish. He was really the handsomest of the brothers, tall and big with blonde streak, brown hair, and dark eyes. He didn't date a lot, but there were always hopeful women hanging around. Tess thought privately that he was probably something of a rake, but she was out of the running, or so she thought. It came to Jack when he had it. So, how about dinner or movie Friday night? She didn't accept that once. She looked, look, I'm the hired help. She said, I wouldn't feel comfortable, but with eyebrows went up and on. Are we desperates? She smiled. Of course not. I just don't think it's a good idea, that's all. You have your own quarters over the garage, he said pointedly. You aren't living under the roof with us and said, and nobody's going to talk if you go out with one of us. I know. But you still don't want to go? She smiled. You're very nice. He looked perplexed. I am. Yes. He took a slow breath and smiled wishfully. Well, I'm glad you think so. 
accepting defeat, he moved away from the counter. Dinner was excellent, by the way. You're a terrific cook. Thanks, I enjoy it. How about making another pot of coffee? I've got to help Cag with the books, and I hate it. I'll need a jolt of caffeine to get me through the night. He's going to come home and work through Christmas Eve, too. She's playing Cag always works, as you'll find out. In a way, it substitutes for all that he does hasn't got. He doesn't think of it as work, though. He likes business. To each his own, she murmured. Amen. He twerked her curly regal hair. Don't spend the night in the kitchen. You can watch one of the new movies on pay-per-view in the living room, if you like. Ray's going to visit one of his friends who's in time for the holidays, and Cag and I won't hear the television from the study. Have the others gone? Cag wouldn't say where he was going, but Corrigan's taking Dory home for their own celebration. He's my. I never thought I'd see my big brother happily married. It's nice. So are they. He hesitated at the door and glanced back. Is Cag nice? She said, I don't know. A <laughs> light flickered in his eyes and went out. She wasn't all that young, but she was innocent. She didn't realize that she classified him with the married brother. No woman who found him attractive but was going to refer to him as nice. Killed his hopes, but it started thinking in other directions. Cag was openly hostile to Tess, and she backed away whenever she saw him coming. It was unusual for Cag to be that antagonistic, especially to someone like Tess, who was sensitive and sweet. Cag was locked tight inside himself. The defection of his fiance had left Cag wounded and twice shy of women, even of little Tess, who didn't have a sophisticated repertoire to try on him. His bad humor had started just about the time she'd come into the house to work, and it hadn't stopped. He had moods during the months that reminded of him when he went off to war and when his engagement had broken, but they didn't usually last more than a day. This one was lasting all too long. For Tess's sake, he hoped he didn't go on indefinitely. Christmas Day was quiet. Not surprisingly, Cag worked through it, too, and the rest of the week that followed. Simon and Tara married a delightful evening. Calligan's birthday was the one that he didn't celebrate. The brother said that he hated parties, cakes, and surprises in that order. But Tess couldn't believe that the big man wanted people to forget such a special occasion. So Saturday morning after breakfast, she baked a birthday cake, a tracking one because she noticed him having a slice of one that Dory had baked a few weeks ago. None of the Hart boys were keen on sweets, which they rarely ate. She heard heard from the former cook, Mrs. Coburnson, that it was probably because their own mother had never baked. She left the boys with their father. It gave Tess something in common with them because her mother had deserted her, too. She iced the cake and put happy birthday on the top. She put on just one candle instead of 38. She left it on the table and went out to the mailbox with the cat trailing behind her to put a few letters that the brother's mail secretary had left on the hall table in the morning mail. She hadn't thought any of the brothers would be in until the evening meal, because a sudden arctic wave had come south to promote an unseasonal freeze. All the hands were out checking on pregnant cows and examining water heaters in the cattle troughs to make sure they were working. Ray had said they probably wouldn't stop for lunch. When she got back to the kitchen, her new leather coat tight around her body, she found Calligan in the kitchen and the remains of her cake, her beautiful cake on the floor below a huge chocolate spot on the kitchen wall. He turned, outraged beyond all proportion, looking bordered, broadier than usual in his shepherd's coat, his black eyes glittering at her from under his wide perception. I don't need a reminder that I'm 38, he said in a soft, dangerous tone, and I don't want a cake or a party or presents. I want nothing from you. Do you understand? The very softness of his voice was frightening. She noticed that. Of all the brothers, he was the one who never yelled or shouted. But his eyes were even more intimidating than his cold tone. Sorry? She choked. 
She said in a choke. You can't find a damn jar of apple butter for the biscuits, but you've got time to waste on things like that. He snapped, jerking his head toward the ruin of her cake. Line shattered on the pale yellow linoleum. She bit her lower lip and stood just looking at him, her blue eyes huge and her white face was freckled, where freckles stood out like flecks of butter and churn milk. What the hell possessed you? Didn't they tell you I hate birthdays? Damn it. His voice cut her like a whip. His eyes alone were enough to make her knees wobble, burning into her like black flames. She swallowed. Her mouth was so dry, she wondered why her tongue didn't stick to the roof of it. Sorry, she said again. Her lack of response made him wild. He glared at her as if he hated her, took a step toward her, a violent quick movement, and she backed up at once, getting behind the chopping block near the wall. Her whole posture was one of fear. He stopped in his tracks and stared at her, scrowling. Her hands gripped the edge of the block, and she looked young and hunted. She bit her lower lip, waiting for the rest of the explosion that she knew was coming. She only wanted to do something nice for him. Maybe she also wanted to make friends. It had been a horrible mistake. It was blatantly obvious that he didn't want her for a friend. Hey, Greg, could you... Ray stopped dead in his tracks as he opened the kitchen door and took in the scene with a glance. Tess white-faced, all but shivering and not from the cold. Cag with his big hands curled on the fist at his sides, his black eyes blazing, the cake shattered against the wall. Cag seemed to jerk as if his brother's parents had jolted him out of the frozen rage that held him captive. Here now, Ray said, talking quietly, because he knew his brother in those flashfires. Don't do this, Cag. Look at her. Come on. Look at her, Cag. He seemed to come to his senses when he caught the bright glimmer of unshed tears in those blue blue eyes. She was shaking, visibly frightened. He let out a breath, and his fists unclenched. Tess was swallowing, as if to keep her fear hidden, and her hands were pushing deep into the pockets of her coat. She was shaking, and she could barely get a breath of air. We have to get those coals ready to ship, Ray was Still speaking softly. Cag, are you coming? We can't find the manifest and the trucks are here for the cattle. The manifest. Cag took a long breath. It's in the second drawer of the desk in the folder. I forgot to put it back in the file. Go ahead. I'll be right with you. Ray didn't budge. Couldn't Cag see that the girl was terrified of him. He's around his brother. Went to the chopping block in between the two of them. You need to get out of that coat. It's hot in here. Ray said, forcing a laugh that he didn't feel. Come on, Pilgrim, said the coat. He untied it, and she let him remove it, her eyes going to his chest and resting there as if she found refuge. Cag hesitated for only for an instant, said something filthy and elegant. Spanish turned on his heel and went out, slamming the door behind him. Tess slumped. A convulsive shudder, leaving her sick. She wiped obtrusively at her eyes. Thanks for saving me, she said huskily. He's funny about birthdays, he said quietly. I don't guess we made it clear enough for you, but at least he didn't throw the cake at you. He had him with a grin. Old Charlie Grier used to bake for us before we found Mrs. Kilburnson. Whom do you replace? Charlie made a cake for Jack's birthday and ended up wearing it. Why, she asked Nobody knows except maybe Simon. He meant they were older than the rest of us. I guess it goes back a long way. We don't talk about it, but I'm sure you've heard some of the gossip about our mother. She nodded. Simon and Gorgon got past the bad memories and made some good marriages. Cag, she said, he was like this even when he got engaged. And we all thought that it was more of a physical infatuation than a need to marry. She was, if you'll pardon the expression, the world's best tease. A total warped woman. Thank God she had enough rope to hang herself before he ended up with her around his neck like an albatross. <laughs> she was still getting her breath back. She took the coat and was going, I'll put it up, thanks. He'll apologize eventually. 
he said slowly. It won't help. She moved over the surface of the leather coat. She looked up, anger beginning to replace the fear in her. I'm leaving. I'm sorry, but I can't stay here and worry about any other little quirks like that. He's scary. He looked up. He, won't have, he wouldn't have hit you. He said softly, grimacing when he saw quick tears fill her eyes. Taz, he'd never. He has rages. None of us really understand him because he won't talk about what's happened to him ever. But he's not a maniac. No, of course not. He just doesn't like me. Ray wished he could dispute that. It was true. Keg was overtly antagonist toward her for reasons that none of the brothers understood. I hope you can find someone to replace me, she said with a shaky pat. Because I'm going as soon as I get back. Taz, not like this. Give it a few days. No! She went to hang up her coat. She had enough of Callaghan heart. She wouldn't ever get over what he'd said, the way he looked at her. He frightened her badly, and she was going to work for a man. She wasn't going to work for a man who could go berserk over a cake. End of chapter one.